John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. You brood of vipers. Isn't that just the perfect sermon hook? Of all the lines a preacher could open with, it's intriguing, descriptive, really paints a picture. Your ears just perk up wanting to know what comes next. And if you're a reptile enthusiast then you're really on the edge of your seat. Of course, it is a bit insulting to be compared to a poisonous creature. Could be the sort of thing that makes some people shut down and stop listening. Why does John choose these words? Is it just an insult or is it something more? Turns out, at least according to a commentary I read this week, that when snakes are born, they remain huddled together until they mature and go off on their own. Unless something spooks or disturbs them, then they'll scatter before they mature. John says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee. John is speaking to a group that has scattered. These are people who have left the hustling economy of the city and have fled to the wilderness to hear his message. They might be children of snakes, but they are snakes who are on to something. The spirit is stirring within these people. They can feel something happening. Something big is taking place, and they long for John's message. John's message is both ordinary and radical. While he offers a baptism, a cleansing, he also, like the prophets before him, reminds the crowds that they need more than a ritual to find what they are looking for. 
God desires their repentance, a real change. They are being invited to live in a different way. John's way of living differently is so simple, so ordinary. This is the lesson plan of every kindergarten teacher, the foundation of kindness that we build off of. If you have two coats and you meet someone who doesn't have one, give one of yours to meet their need. If you have lots of good food, give some of what you have to someone who is hungry. Treat people fairly without cheating. If you're a tax collector, make your money honestly, not by charging more than what is due. If you're a soldier, don't use your power to extort others. It's all pretty simple. Share what you have, especially when you have more than enough. Don't cheat or steal to build up more. These actions are a beginning of something. They are the parts of the law that we might be able to keep on our own. They are actions that show repentance, a turning away from an old selfish self, one who looks in and turning towards the way of God, the way that is loving and just, a way that is focused on others. And these words are also radical. In a culture that wants you to store up riches for yourself, just in case you need them one day, it doesn't seem smart to share your extra. What if one of your coats wears out or isn't quite right for the weather or you lose it? The coat maker doesn't want each person to settle for just one coat. The other tax collectors who will continue to make more, take more than they should are not going to like these new honest collectors who threaten their livelihood. The soldiers who fulfill their role honorably won't be popular among the soldiers who liked that their power could open doors and knock down obstacles. A few people choosing to live differently threatens the whole system that's established. And the people who are benefiting from the system as it exists will not be happy about it. At least not at first. But our gospel writer Luke describes John's message as good news. And it is. It is good news for both the rich and the poor, for those in power and those who feel powerless, because oppressive systems trap both the oppressor and the oppressed. In an unfair system built on cheating and exploitation, people are seen as profit, and one's own value is found by how much you've stored up and taken from others. Everyone loses. Everyone loses their humanity it doesn't feel good. And it doesn't have to be this way. John gives an invitation to something different, something better, a way of life that you can feel good about that would bring us joy and security, a way of life where people see the humanity of their neighbor and we care for one another and we share with one another. And you don't have to worry about falling behind or being left out or having enough. Now I have to share a little bit about Emmanuel and what goes on during the week here. On Sundays we gather for worship, but ministry, as you know, happens all week long. It's just not always as visible. The Christmas season is all about giving, but it is, also has this reputation and even a danger 
that it's really about materialism and consumerism, not really about giving anymore. But this week at Emmanuel, I witnessed true giving over and over. As you know, we've been talking about our giving tree the past few weeks during the announcements. And this week, all those gift cards were returned. When we walked into the volunteer office, you couldn't set anything down because every flat surface was covered with cards and gifts. Each gift card means that someone took time during this busy season to give to someone they don't even know. Each gift card representing a person who will be helped this season. The collection bins for Wachusett Food Pantry were overflowing, which means that when you're doing the shopping for your own household, you're thinking about what your neighbors are eating and not forgetting about them. I look at the cereal boxes and pasta and cans of soup and I think, yes, we are doing something to make sure that our neighbors will not go hungry. On Friday, there was a walkthrough of the old apartment space to see the scope of work that would be needed to uh, convert this space back into an apartment with the hope that we would be able to use this space to give a refugee family a safe place to live. We have someone in our congregation who has had a surgery on her spine. The road to recovery will be really painful and difficult. And what a time of year to be recovering from something like this. But when I sent out a meal sign up to just a small group of people who had indicated on those Servant Connect forms that they like to provide meals for others, the sign-up sheet filled up so fast, including meals that will be brought to the home on Christmas Day and New Year's Eve. When this person needed a handrail installed by her front steps so that it would be safe to return home, so they could be with, be home with their family for Christmas, the men's ministry stepped right in and said, it's taken care of. It's weeks like this past week when I stop and think, I want everyone to experience this love. I want everyone to experience the power of God's love and action, this generosity, this community, this kindness. To experience it is to be transformed by it because it's hard to witness this love and not be swept up in and inspired by it. When John yelled in the desert his words of judgment and his call to change, people stuck around to listen because his vision for how we could live was so beautiful and powerful. What if we all had enough because we all took care of each other? Isn't that so much better? What a joyous way to live. And John's invitation is truly just the beginning, just a little peek of what is possible. Soon Jesus is going to be on the scene preaching and teaching and offering an even more spectacular vision. Jesus will encourage his followers to give all they have to the poor, to love their enemies, to forgive others again and again and again, to give to everyone who asks, to heal the sick and restore the outcast into community. Jesus will proclaim the type of life only possible through him, not our own efforts, through the Holy Spirit working through us, refining us 
transforming us. This is the type of world we are on the way towards, the work that Jesus started, that we continue and God will one day complete. This is what we wait for and long for and hope for as the Advent season reminds us. Sometimes this reality feels so far away and other weeks, like this week, it feels so close. We rejoice whenever we see God's kingdom breaking into our world. We rejoice when we have the opportunity to be part of God's work. And we ask that God continues to work in us and through us until all people experience God's abundant, unending love. Amen.